Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we're excited to have the shock boss, Sean Reyes, founder of Shock Surplus, the man who broke into the closely guarded shock industry. Sean will share how he navigated a market dominated by gatekeepers and low transparency using education and empowerment to differentiate his brand. Discover how Shock Surplus stands out in the aftermarket industry, balancing authenticity and innovation in the competitive D2C space. Tune in for an insightful journey into disrupting an industry and the power of knowledge in transforming customer experiences on the show. The only thing on Facebook we put out on top of funnel, middle of funnel is education. And that kind of goes into one of my points of like manufactured viralities. On one hand, we do a brand versus brand, and then you get that brand enthusiast versus this brand enthusiast saying, which one's better? That just blows up the comments. And then people start asking questions. So, so now this ad is becoming your Q&A section. And it's just like 100 comments, 200 comments, 500 comments. And we're just like Q&A, Q&A. So those are all leads. And then people are sharing this because it is pretty valuable content. How often do you share an ad on Facebook? Like it never. So I see our ads being shared on Facebook and it's just like, you know you're doing something right. I'm giving the secrets out here, everyone. If you're a D2C brand on Shopify and you're not using Black Crow, then you're leaving significant revenue on the table. Black Crow uses your own data to help you identify customers returning to your site who would otherwise remain anonymous. The more customers you can identify, the more email and SMS abandonment messages you can send. You'll see incremental revenue almost immediately without having to change any of your existing flows. The best part? All it takes is a one-click integration. There's zero development work required. Head on over to blackcrow.ai slash DTC to get started with a free 30-day trial. Sean, welcome to the D2C podcast. Talk to me about the shock game and how you got into it. Yeah, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a gearhead in the slightest. I was um, a video game guy and uh, my stepdad, he was very much the gearhead, very much the manufacturer and the, kind of the brains behind coil springs for 30 years and he kept asking me do you, do you want to come work for me work for me and just imagine just like a thousand foot warehouse just an automotive shop dirty big fat boxy monitors paperwork everywhere just like the most cluttered space you could imagine i love you bill um but i was like i'm not gonna go do this uh, but I got passed up for a promotion at Blizzard Entertainment working on video games. And so I was like, that's it. I'm going to go get some more freedom in my life. Started doing, working with him. Um, he's very much in the suspension world. So coil springs, shocks, struts, lowering kits, lift kits. And that not my thing in the slightest. But what I did see was uh, I was always just interested in small business. And, you know, I was always selling cards and pogs and I was making things on Etsy and just, you know, a little bit of entrepreneur side. So when I saw his business, I was like, hey, there's no website. Um, we got a pretty small eBay uh, presence. So let's, I'm going to work on, I'm just going to take your parts and put them up on the internet because I truly believe that's the, that was the future or it is the future. It is the thing, you know. What year was that? That was 2007. Okay. So even before so that was, you're, you're, yeah. Yeah. Even before Early Amazon days. was taken off. Yeah. And like he, so, and the one I discovered dropshipping in 2007 as well, he was, cause he told me, is like, oh yeah, we could just have you ship that order directly to the customer and the uh, distributor will just bill us. And I'm like, wait, we don't have to touch the parts. He's like, yeah. And I was like, what? That, that seems 
I was it's just so strange. And so when I figured that out, I like I was just up day and night li listing products on eBay, listing products on eBay. And there was a tool back then that allowed you to see what your competition was selling, uh, Terapeak. So ter I, I directly attribute Terapeak for my success because I would just steal all of my competitors' listings of parts that we can sell. And I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm not even gonna undercut them. I'm like, I'm gonna price them the same, but make them just all the listings better. And so we started just, um, you know, selling tons of stuff. And that, that kind of progressed for a couple of years. This was progressing through that, the, the financial recession um, as well. And we had built up a brand from imported parts out of China. And so, we built that brand, sold that brand, and I started working for that brand for, you know, 2010, 11, and 12. And then I started Shock Surplus on the side in 2012, just as like a, a little bit of a side gig, because I'm like, well, there's a lot of help that's needed here because guys with lifted trucks, guys with low, lower trucks don't have any idea what they need for their vehicle. Um, and that's still the case even to this day. So I'm like, I'm doing an okay job on education, but I haven't done as good of a job as, I, as I'd wanted to. Um, and so I kind of really just got into that because it's such a technical product, shock absorbers. You're talking about car shock absorbers, truck shock absorbers, race level stuff, consumer level stuff, and what's all the difference. And we've talked before, but all the brands are using the same like four or five just buzzwords of durability, performance, comfort, and you know some of these other things that really mean mean nothing to me and you when everyone is saying the exact same thing right so i thought there's a huge huge opportunity for a little bit just more education from not from the brand's perspective or the manufacturer's perspective but from a layman's person perspective and i felt i felt like i am that layman i, I don't know i didn't know anything uh before i got into this i'm like i'm just going to tell people what i would want to know um on a on a kind of a scalable aspect. And so that's kind of how we got started with like YouTube and, and all that stuff. Amazing. Well, first of all, shout out to Terapeak, uh, a Victoria, British Columbia company that was, oh, yeah. uh, that I knew about way back in the day when I was in affiliate marketing. I, uh -huh. uh, I had my, my friend Maximilian Kless worked at Terapeak. It's cool. Cool to know it was uh, out there uh, growing empires way back in the day. But it just, it's such a great example. Like the whole impetus behind D to C was that you could cut out the middleman. You, you know, you could originally, you know, you go, you go directly to ads and, instead of to retail stores. And that's through retail environments that are like, have been evolving for a long time. I imagine that that like that retail environment that, you know, in your father-in-law's shop, it, you know, the, the way that was like, I bet there was a lot of archaic structures in place, basically that, that it's been like that there's a lot of room for yes. innovation in going direct to consumer in this space specifically is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I'm going to write down the word archaic because like that actually describes the entire aftermarket, aftermarket automotive industry, <laughs> even to this day, archaic. because yeah, yeah because it's, we have, you have brands at the very top, manufacturers at the very top, and then they go into a distributor and distributor goes to the jobber and then the jobber goes to the retail person. Right. And, um, and so like, that's just like our archaic, um, product distribution. It still works to this day and that's what happens on like massive scales and whatever. But, um, like our shop would, was only pushing product really that we had, you know, great margins on and good relationships with. Right. And that's, you know, that's not a good thing or a bad thing, but that was just like the truth of it. And still to this day, shops are only pushing what they have specials on or what their local distributor carries. 
Um, and so there's a lot of customers even now that are getting very, you know, hoodwinked into what the what the shop uh, is recommendation recommending, even though they might not it might not be the best, oftentimes not the best option for for that customer. And- and then even if they went to try to look at other things, they'd run into the four, the four of the same subjective words to describe, oh, this one's smooth, this one's, you know what I mean? Yeah. You run into that same problem where even if, even if you're not locked into your shop, the, you know, the marketing apparatus of all these, of these, these parts companies is archaic as well. So explain, explain how you've sort of solved that problem, like this idea of like actually helping people understand what these products feel like in, in their cars. Yeah, so we, we, I, I have like basically designed our entire kind of product um, knowledge. Um, I don't know product knowledge training by using staff vehicles, using my own vehicles, and so we're, like every vehicle I've had, I've put on, I've put on over twelve different sets of shocks on my own vehicle, and we record all that. We do blog posts about all that stuff. The the A versus B, A versus C, B versus B. Which one's better for this? Which one's better for that? And like using like my, my own vehicle as an example. And our my very first like product guide, um, you know, got over has received over three hundred fifty thousand views on YouTube, and that's just like me being so green, just talking very deadpan to the camera, like, just like, this is my experience and it worked really well. And since kind of like having that initial, I wouldn't call, even call it viral, but even having that, I'm just like, okay, well now we're duplicating this for um, my sales manager's vehicle. And anyone that wants to participate at work, we basically give them shocks um, or suspension pieces and just educate from a very, uh, from the driver's perspective. So. It is a little bit of our brand attached to it and, and kind of giving that to the audience. But I think the audience really um, likes seeing different different types of drivers, um, obviously different demographics of drivers besides just me as the brand head and the, the owner kind of telling them these things. So give a lot of different perspectives. We, we really use, you know, we do this also with our customer of our key customers uh, and their vehicle, the before, the after. So we're really just trying to educate from like how it feels in the butt with other people that are very unfamiliar with this space. Um, Cause when you get in the space, you know, all the nerd talk kind of uh, starts taking over and then you lose people really fast. And so that's what we don't want. Cause then you find yourselves in the same situation as being the brand that doesn't know how to talk to the customer. If that makes sense. That does. Yeah. And it's sort of like the term we haven't brought, we talked about in the pre-interviews, this idea of, of gatekeeping, that idea of it, it. And it's funny, it seems like there's gatekeeping all along the chain there a little bit uh, when it comes to it. Talk, talk just a little bit about kind of going into an industry like this that has been sort of traditionally gatekept. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's people, a lot of these brands had, uh, you know, they don't even know, they don't know what a product, like before they didn't even know what a product sheet was as far as like, give me your part numbers and give me your extended links and all this stuff. Like to them, it was like, this is it. And you have to trust us that this is going to work for that thing. And that's always been the, the theory behind so many of these brands. It's like, my shit doesn't stink. Believe me. And this is, this is your option. Otherwise, no, you can't talk to the engineers. You can't talk to the tech people or no, you don't have a dyno chart. And so that's still some of that still is prevalent today. But so we, you know, we take people's, we take brands shocks and we like line them up on a, on a dyno chart that gives, um, 
call it just the shock behavior on paper to show a customer or show the audience like here are the dead nuts differences between these two products. But most people are not going to be able to even tell what that even means and how that translates to uh, how it actually feels um, to the person driving around. And so that's where that's where we kind of come in and they, they kind of explain the science behind it um, and how it feels. And then we kind of pair that up with like, oh, here we are in the dirt testing this exact same thing. And now we relate like now we relate this part of the video to that part on the, you know, the dinograph. And so we're really trying to relate real world experiences to on paper specifications and um, kind of more of the science behind the product. Um, and we have, to, we have to do this a lot in the truck space because um, truck guys, race guys, and these people that are kind of that are more gear heady, um, it's a little bit of just the audience is just very much um, very product oriented, gear oriented, community oriented. It's a lot different than something like German race car designers. So like in... Uh, I'm just going to give a little bit of an anecdote, like the high level race guys in uh, auto, the auto car automotive space, uh, such as KW and Bill Stein and Moton. These are high level suspension people, but car guys, they have, they dyno chart everything and they have blog posts and essays and all sorts of just like they have an entire book dedicated to how they are valving their thing and they're talking directly to their nerdy engineering stuff yes, right like exactly and in the off-road space it is opposite of that you will i'm not going to tell you anything on how to valve your thing for this you have to drop your shocks off to me and i will do it for you and i'm not going to tell you what i did but just know that it's going to work for you. And oftentimes it does because these guys are really good at what they do. But that's like the prime gatekeeping thing that's still present to this day. And, you know, so kind of democratizing that, we're still in process of doing that. I have a, I have a path forward on doing that and we're trying to do more of that. Um, but that is the kind of the thing that's still very prevalent in our space right now in the off-road racing space, off-road product space. And so we're really trying to like, I'm trying to, teach people how to do these things themselves, you know, teach a man and fish, all that whole thing. I'm trying to do that, give them the tool to do that, giving them YouTube videos step-by-step step on how to do that. Um, and kind of all those things. So top to bottom, like how do you do this yourself and figure it out yourself? Because, you know, that's how you get customers for life. It's yeah. I, I want to dive into that on the LTV on, on, on you know, mm -hmm. these, these customers that you're kind of educating through this process, but it's, you go, you fish where the fish are. And I was, I was just looking at like the average, you know, first car purchase in the U S is like 65 grand or something like that. So the amount of money that's going into these cars in different capacities, these trucks, uh, is, is pretty astronomical. I'm just, I'm curious, like when it comes to like the aftermarket, like ecosystem, like where are shocks in the whole, like in terms of like w w what people spend money on, where are shocks in the whole aftermarket world? You know, most, most aftermarket, uh, spend this is, I don't, I should have more data on this. I can bring up the data on this, but just being in the space, most people are after aesthetics, you know, a lift, a little bit of a lifted truck to make it look more aggressive. And then you get bigger wheels and tires, more aggressive. It's, it's very much a look kind of, uh, aesthetically driven um, place. There is a lot of function. There is a lot of people that are after the uh, uh, in terms of functionality, but shocks probably fall definitely in the top five in terms of 
like mod considerations. Um, so wheels, wheels and tires are like usually number one and two. We'll just call it number one because like, you know, uh, everyone wants new wheels and tires because it changes and it personalizes the vehicle immediately. Shocks are in the top five somewhere because it typically does provide new functionality. A lot of guys want to lift their vehicles or lower their vehicles to match to their wheels and tire package, but you don't see it a lot. So it's not mm -hmm. something to like flex with. Um, you know, lights are another big thing. A lot of event adventure gear now is in that top five. So like roof racks or a camper shell or a rooftop totally. tent or like that overland kind of stuff is, is, is vying for the same audience. But uh, suspension wise, we find a lot of suspension purchases happen on the second and third owners, um, you know, because so much vehicle buying and flipping behavior was like people keep their vehicles, you know, three, four, five years and then sell it before, you know, it starts getting too much problems and they go into the next one. So that second and third owner is really where you see a lot of aftermarket purchases happening. Um, and so it's it's a multi-billion dollar market here just in the u.s alone yeah and i'm what can you say like what can you say about your growth at this point you started in 2012 uh like how big are you guys now we so in 20 in 2019 we were doing single digits uh, single digit millions on our shopify site and then we grew 800 percent in the next since this year so we're in the low eight figure so we went for basically you know seven million uh, 3 million on Shopify. And then last year we did uh, mid 20 million on Shopify. And so we were already on this trajectory of growth when, you know, the Shopify site came up, we really learned or we're, we're hitting some home runs on Facebook ads. And then we really hit some home runs on Google um, shopping with, cause we, our arbitrage was minimum advertised pricing. So every, I'm giving the secrets out here, everyone, because how, how we grew and how we kind of cheated the system, because these older guys are the, the, the heads of brands. These are legacy billion dollar companies. They have a minimum advertised pricing strategy that they had in place, but it was only by part number in a catalog. So you have to sell it at $50. And so we were taking two or three of those part numbers, bundling them together, and there was no map policy on that bundle. So that's how we just took so much market share on eBay and on Amazon. And so you were we, able to we, offer them at a lower price if they were bundled. Yep. Yeah. Uh, rather than the cumulative total of the map pricing. So four parts yeah. would usually be 200 bucks and we were up there on eBay and Amazon for 190 or something. And so anyone that was searching for part one, two, three, four, our bundle was showing up for that same um, search. And they're like, oh, well, of course I want that. So one purchase, easy purchase for my lifted truck rather than them having to go look in a catalog for each individual part number. Um, and so we made, you know, thousands of listings on eBay, thousands of listings on Amazon, and we had a really big head start there. Now everyone has caught on to that game and undercut us everywhere. And we don't, we don't play the pricing game anymore, but that's how we like really took off on a rocket ship. Um, That's and, huge. Then, and then what, and I'm just curious, what are the role with meta ads? Like, are, like, are people like getting stopped in their feed by, Ooh, that's a sexy pair of shocks. Or is it more of a middle to bottom funnel retargeting play? Like how does top of funnel work on meta? So we, a lot of it was retargeting or not a lot of it, but some of it was retargeting, but the top of funnel stuff is, you know, I had, a, I've had a videographer on staff for at least the past four years full time. And so, you know, I've, I live near Lake Tahoe right now, so I go to Tahoe a lot, Mammoth a lot. Oh, 
my lifestyle is just outdoor adventure stuff, running, doing triathlons, mountain biking, and just in nature a lot. And so I would take my team out or we'd go to events and this videographer is basically creating 15 second spots on all these trips throughout the year, national parks, this um, events, that normal camping trips. And we would just plug those in to top of funnel brand awareness stuff on Facebook and people, you know, tons of shares, comments of like, invite me next time. And so a lot of very inexpensive clicks back to the site. That was a lot different back in 2019, 2020 before, you know, COVID and what all the stuff we see now. But now how it works for us is uh, we put out, I only thing on Facebook we put out on top of funnel, middle of funnel is education. Um, so Fox versus Bill Stein, brand versus brand. And that kind of goes into one of my points of like manufactured viralities. So uh, on one hand, we do a brand versus brand, and then you get that brand enthusiast versus this brand enthusiast saying which one's better. And that just blows up. Like that just blows up the comments. And I'm talking really about all the it. Calvin peeing on logos. That's big in the automotive yeah. industry, right? Is it's, that my product so group big. is better than your product group, right? Yeah, Fox versus King is like our biggest our biggest topic that you can never just get enough of ever. Um, and so it's really easy to do that in our space because of our demographics that are very tribal. Um, and so you can easily just put them together. I, I monitor all the comments to make sure there's no garb, like garbage that kind of proliferates in there. Make it, and then people start asking questions. So, so now this uh, this ad is becoming your Q&A section. And it's just like 100 comments, 200 comments, 500 comments. And we're just like Q&A, Q&A. So those are all leads. And then people are sharing this because it is pretty valuable content. And so that's that's been our, our game plan. Um, and I've been trying to tell other people to do that because it's educated. Back to the education thing. It's how often do you share an ad on Facebook? Like it never, right? And I see, so I see our ads being shared on Facebook and it's just like, this is crazy to me. It's great, but, but you know you're doing something right. It's, it's a great strategy. Yeah, we've definitely, I've had that before where you just get these huge comment threads that and that the social proof just exists in the ad already then in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that can just be be hugely valuable. It's, I, I, I guess we don't talk to as many people who are marketplaces, who sell multiple other people's products, but mm-hmm. I'm wondering how, yeah. how brands who have their own product line, you could even pit your own products against each other kind of in that you know, whether you have different scents or different things. I'm trying to think of how you do it if you if you're selling your own products versus if you're, that if you're yeah. Sell, yeah. If you're selling your own product, this is like the prime way to get in front of a new audience because like if someone is searching I don't know, hemp's hemp's lotion, um, and you have a new a new kind of a, a new version or a better version of this lotion, like put yours versus theirs because now you're going to start showing up in their search. Right. And so that's, it seems simple, but how many options are there that there's probably 50 different lotions you can put yours against, make a video of yours versus them. And so now you're like, you're, you're, you're showing value. You're getting in front of their audience. This might seem obvious, but in the automotive spaces, very much not. (laughs) Yeah, I remember it's funny manufacturing virality. I remember I worked for a uh, a game company that was trying to take on Clash of Clans, and this was a time where Clash of Clans was spending like two or three million dollars a day, spending upwards of ninety nine dollars in install. Back to the gaming, back shout out back to the gaming industry. Yep. It's called Tiny Realms, and I had one ad. I was running ads for this, and it was basically I just had one ad that said 
better than Clash of Clans. And that, that was it. And it was just, that ad would just get so much heat and people would go crazy on it. And then I'd have these conversations. I'd be like, oh, in Clash of Clans, can you actually control where your units go or do they just do what they're going to do? Like, oh, well, this is actually a much more tactical game. And I'd have these like conversations about showing why it's better. And multiple times people in that thread would be like, actually, it is better. Yeah. Um, and we were getting installs for like a buck while they were spending like 99. So like it was a, it's, 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 it's a strategy works. Yeah. The, the comp, like, uh, treating, treating those common threads like gold, it, it, I mean, you have to, because you have to realize that it, one out of a thousand people are going to probably leave a, uh, leave a comment, but like that one comment is a, is a signal for the rest of the market that wants to know something that's missing in your, in your ad or in your value proposition. Right. So like treat it like gold, treat it like an FAQ. Sorry, one sec, just scrolling through my inbox right now and reading some banger texts like this recipe from Graza, this sale reminder from Brooklyn and oh yeah, this gift guide from Dr. Squatch. What do all these brands have in common? They all use Postscript for their SMS marketing. Postscript is on a mission to make SMS the number one revenue channel for e-commerce merchants by delivering an easy-to-use platform where they can grow their subscriber list, develop and test their messaging strategy, deliver excellent customer service, and drive sales and loyalty all in one place. Over 12,000 merchants are using Postscript in their tech stack, and you should too. Visit postscript.io slash DTC to receive an exclusive offer. New car purchases... I, I would imagine they're down or in the next, in the little, like, I feel like we're headed, like, my question is, with this trying economy that we find ourselves in, is that good for aftermarket products? Does it mean that people are more likely to maybe not buy a new car and they're more likely to maybe upgrade or upkeep their current automobile? Is that, does this actually play into your benefit? That does, that does play out. And it's very, it's a very obvious, not a very obvious, but it's, um, it's some, it's a topic of conversation at SEMA and the SEMA groups and kind of just how to position your brand now during a recession and whatnot. So our market is, uh, our, our company rather feels very recession proof, but like defensible because we're not selling the $3,000 system. We're selling the $500 maintenance system and that's still okay. Cause that's a very large AOB for us. Um, and so that, that definitely plays a part And you know, rather now than flipping their vehicle, they're going to turn, they're going to spend that $1,000 or $5,000 they had on mods instead to like more personalize it, make it better and, and, you know, still provide a new, a new vehicle feel uh, to something they may have had for three, four, five years at this point. Yeah. What, what is competition? So you, you kind of were like a bit of a bull in the China shop coming into this space. And I, I think of Batman. So when Batman came around, all of a sudden there had to be the Joker and the Riddler and these other people to kind of oppose. I'm, I'm wondering, like, have you, ha have you sort of uh, helped evolve? The, are, do you have a lot of copycats in this industry? Like what, how do you think of competition uh, at this point in the stage of your business? You know, I've been listening to, um, who is it? Chris, Chris Lockhead. So he, Chris Lockett has been pitching this book, so I've been reading this book, but Chris Lockett talks about category design. Um, and, you know, I've only been recently recent, listening to it, but it, it's filling in a lot of gaps on, like, how our, how our playbook is kind of playing out in our market. Um, you know, no one, back to gearheads, engineers, those guys don't want to jump on camera at all. Like, you can't get them to explain a product on camera to, like, save their life. Um, and so we, you know, we've been on YouTube and we've been doing the kind of just general talking head and 
I'm not going to say we even, you know, lots of people have been doing that for a long time, but we are seeing a lot more people doing a lot more of that um, in, in our direct competition to our space, like the shock absorber space as well. But I'm seeing it a lot in terms of other, all sorts of products that people are doing it a lot more. Um, we, the thing is, is that like so many people still do, they, they're just regurgitating product descriptions and they're just regurgitating borrowed knowledge. Um, and what, and kind of, you know, what Alex Ramosi says is like, you have conviction when you have proof of doing the thing, you know? And so like we have the, all of our videos, all of our content is proof that we do the thing, which gives us conviction to recognize to know that this recommendation is going to be the best for you, you know? And so that's just the, so we have a lot of, I want to say we have a lot of copycats, I guess. Um, and a lot of people are doing this, the, uh, what we're doing, mimicking what we're doing. Uh, we recently rolled out a, a same day shock service and I, I didn't find any evidence that this service existed anywhere in the United States when I rolled it out about a year ago. And that's basically customer drops off the vehicle. We remove the shocks, we, uh, we rebuild the shocks, and then we put it back on the vehicle all on the same day. Rebuilding shocks is typically a 24 to 48 hour turnaround service that a lot of these high level off-road shops will, will do. Um, but we are doing it all within like a six or seven hour time window because uh, Time is money, right? And so many of these people, like they'll they'll easily pay um, a very high premium to have as little inconvenience as possible. And that inconvenience is not having their vehicle for a week or two weeks sometimes while they remove the parts, ship them in, wait for them to ship them back, put them back on. That's like, so, you know, what is that worth to the customer? And so we were actually, you know, one of those, we, we did that a year ago and that had huge, uh, adoption in Los Angeles for us. And now I'm seeing it pop up all over Arizona, SoCal, some guys are doing it. Um, people are, I've, I've noticed quite a bit more of this and people undercutting our pricing and all this stuff, I don't care. Um, and so this category design thing that Chris Locke had just been talking about, I'm like, oh, that's kind of where we're, I don't know, it seems egotistical to say that, but it feels like what we're doing, more transparency, more value added service on top of just like battling over price all the time, um, really trying to elevate what this category is about and what the expectations are for the customer. Um, so, you know, more people win and um, we're just gonna just continue innovating, just try to continue innovating in our space, um, provide more value to the customer. Cause like you said, we're selling all these other brands. How do you, how do you give all this value on top because the price is basically fixed on a, on a product, right? Yeah. So authenticity. You, I think you nailed it yeah. a little bit with that. Like, I love getting a little Hormozy wisdom on the podcast, but that you know, the, being able to come from a place of like actually doing the shit, which is honestly with D 2 C the, the newsletter. Like, you know, we, we've been around for three years now. We were one of the first like newsletters talking about this stuff. And it's it's really been our connection with Pilot House and the fact that like we're we're writing from the things that all of their media buyers from across all their different platforms are telling us is working right now. And without that, like we would and and these podcasts, I think, where we get a lot of insight from from so many great entrepreneurs, like we and when we're when we're talking to advertisers, it's all about we're not an also right. We're not reporting the news that other we're creating the content from a personal standpoint of, of real authenticity. And I think that's going to set you apart, especially if your competitors are, as you say, more more regurgitating things. Yeah, and like the the same spot we've been doing all of the videos in, a lot of other companies are going out there to do the the videos at the same spot. And like, 
come on guys, can you find somewhere? Your own, I'm not saying JV is our own for you people listening, but um, yeah. I wanted to ask, so you're running, you're doing a lot of uh, content, you're like a content factory on, uh, on yeah. TikTok, on YouTube, and on Instagram. How do you, uh, how do you characterize the differences in these audiences for, for your, your group? TikTok is not Instagram. All of you brands, automotive brands listening, I see so many guys that are moving over to TikTok and trying to do the same flashy Instagram edits and just falling flat. TikTok is literally, I'm treating TikTok like a brand new Google, um, a brand new search engine. So like shocks in 60 seconds, um, Tacoma's, Tacoma top five maintenance tips in 60 seconds. Um, all these very short form things that are people going through their feed and We've been we've been hitting a lot of home runs there in terms of just pure education works on TikTok and that's great because that's kind of more where I shine. We don't shine on Instagram, kind of uh, all the flashy stuff. We get viral hits there when we attach to you know trending audio, but like that stuff, it doesn't seem like it. It, it really produces a good following on TikTok. It's like. Uh, we get tons of thank yous, tons of messages about people. Thank you for the content. Thank you for this. Can you help me out with that? And once these educational pieces on TikTok blow up, it turns into another Q&A session. And the great thing about TikTok, you know, Instagram copied this, but responding to comments on TikTok with a reel, it's, it's, a, it's a flywheel of content. You never run out of content if you're, if you're providing value to your, to your audience. And so I literally just look at a, what am I going to do content on today? I don't know. I'm going into this comment thread, finding a good question, replying to that and making a new reel. And then that reel is going to blow up with 10 or 15 or 50 more comments. And there's a question there I'm going to answer. And so it's literally a flywheel of, of content um, ideas and execution. And you just keep providing value over and over to those, to those audiences. And then on, you know, on YouTube, it's, YouTube, all the money we put into content, making content there, out shooting, it's, it's all brand building and we have no expectation of ROI whatsoever. It does bring back to us a lot, you know, like you mentioned, post-purchase surveys. Um, YouTube is probably top three of how people found out about us. Um, you know, YouTube is also Google, right? So if you use YouTube and bookmark your thing correctly to where like this section of the video is titled this, it's basically treated like its own landing page in, in Google's eyes because now they're top of search results on that question, go to this video and now they know your brand, right? Um, yeah. Short form video. I was just reading a Taylor Holiday post the other day, just, and he's hundred percent right that the brands that master short form video are going to be the brands that that come out ahead. And it's funny at D2C, we're thinking about the same thing. We like, we're the, the newsletter environment has changed so much in the last three years. Um, there's so many people that have just spun up ones. There's uh, there's spark loop that's signing people up to four or five different newsletters and getting paid out. It's a yeah. really interesting environment. And we're, we're, we're thinking like we are really going to be investing in short form video as well, because it's just, it's the way it's the way I consume almost all of my media at this point. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. if, if you're out there and not, you know, not tackling short form video content, like you, sh you really should. You should, uh, I was literally just thinking this yesterday. I was like, you guys should have a DTC in 60, um, podcast where it's 60 seconds, but then you have the video. It's it's video stuff as well. I'm surprised Spotify doesn't have what uh, a YouTube Shorts version, right? Where like, because YouTube Shorts, my my feed is filled with nothing but besides like talking head of this podcaster versus that podcaster, or Joe Rogan with this guy, or uh, 
whatever the latest thing is, um, comedians doing their skits in 60 seconds or, you know, in your, your podcast, there's so many bite-sized pieces that are just like gold, but then it's, but it gets lost in a 30 minute or a 20 minute or a 40 minute podcast. Right. Cause like, as we all know, content falls off. You, you only probably 10% of your listeners are there at the very end. Maybe, I don't know what your metrics are, but our metrics are kind of like that. So I think about that. So our YouTube content is like, Here's the, the pillar content and then TikTok and Instagram and shorts is like all the micro pieces pulled out of that. I love that. Yeah. Po- podcasts are a bit of a hack in terms of like retention. We we retain, so, most episodes retain like 80% to the end kind of thing, Dude, which is crazy. So yeah. yeah. Like I look at, I look at our YouTube, uh, our YouTube minutes and I think average listens like eight minutes or 10 minutes or something, mm-hmm. much, much less. But podcast is that hack because people just put you in their pocket and then you're yeah. part of their ritual with their walk or whatever they're doing. Right? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, but yeah, this is the year we master short form video. So I'm going to be maybe reaching out for some hacks. Uh, mm-hmm. And some tips from you. Uh, here's another question I want to start asking to everyone: What is what's what's part of your tech stack that you couldn't live without? Oh man, that's a that's a good question. Um, can I cheat and look in my Shopify thing? Because we, we yep. do have some some good stuff for you. Let me see. I would say it's not historically been our best, but going forward, I'm super excited about it. Um, so in Shopify, <clears throat> on Shopify, the whole discounting kind of situation is, uh, it's good, but not as good as it can be. And so this new app I got called Cartbot is um, basically uh, built on the Shopify discounting platform. So basically it allows you to automatically add things to a user's cart based on user activity um so if a, if a user adds product a to their cart you can automatically add product b to the cart and through shopify's own discounting you can basically make product b free heavily discounted or whatnot because right now shopify's discounting program is like you could if you buy a you can make b free or a percentage off but that customer needs to go find that product in your store add it to cart and then they'll see the discount so Cartbot basically brings all of that forward. And so this is one of the ways we're really pro- trying to provide all that extra value on top of um, on top of a, we'll call it just a normal retail price product. How do we give just a bunch of just, boom, you get all this, all this, you get B, C, and D with your purchase from us. And a lot of these things are something that other retailers can't do because they're just pure drop shippers. We've, you know, our, our company, we started drop shipping, but we also do installs and we also do a bunch of tech help. We also do custom custom assemblies. Um, we also do rebuild services. And so all these people buying super high-end stuff, we're giving them like special credits on certain products, automatically gets added to the cart. And now, you know, we're really making it a no-brainer for them to buy from us. But very small, nuanced app, Clarkbot. Um, it's helping us kind of build upon the Shopify discounting kind of uh, platform. And in many cases, these are products that they, they would need, like in order to install, like the, they'd come as sort of like a, a bundle or a kit, or is it things that they'd end up being like, oh, I don't need that, they'd have to take it out? Um, usually it's, it's, it's almost almost all going to all be bonus. So like okay. if we have a, if we have got like a $5,000 product that's like kind of market controlled by the brand don't sell it for less i'm going to put you on a do not sell list um kind of attitude that these brands have like all right fine 
you get $5,000, you get free expedited shipping, you get free shop rebuild services, you get free installation. They're like, okay, well, we're not, you know, we're not marking down that thing, but we're going to give you a thousand dollars of other value yeah. along with this purchase. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah so that's, I, that's, that helps us on carbots help because automate all of that. I think that's awesome. The other, the other question I'm going to, I was going to start asking, I think you kind of answered in a couple different ways is like, what's the best offer you've ever run? It sounds like CartBot is mm -hmm. like really great at putting together that offer. You mentioned the offer that built your business, which was that arbitrage opportunity on eBay, where you were bundling different products together at a, at a discounted price. What would you mm -hmm. say to like the best, most effective offer you've ever run? I, I mean, the, the most, I mean, Hermosi's hundred million dollar offer books led me directly into offering the same day service, which no, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll say no one else is doing it. And so that's, you know, in terms of like saving customers time, we're saving customers literally like a week of downtime of their vehicle. We're saving them days of their life, you know? And so it's not, it's not a massive volume program, but in terms of like where the market was and where we brought it to, um, and now a bunch of people are copying it. I think that's like one of the most effective things we've come up with in the past. I love, I love 12 that. Months. And, that, and that's yeah. pure vertical integration too, right? I think that's, you're doing yep. that in, in all the ways you can across the whole process. Any plans to, I guess that's quite a feat, right? Cause you've got to have it. You've got to be, you know, that's why you're doing it in LA with the, the shops that, that you know, any plans on trying to roll that out in other places? Well, we, Coming in the next couple of years, we are, so we, we use our shop space more for media and we don't really capitalize at all on the massive automotive market in LA. You know, LA is like literally the center of car culture in the entire world. And so for the future, we're going to be getting a, a, a large shop with a bunch of bays, keep those humming with um, service. Um, and then it's not even to but the service is going to barely put a dent on our eight figure um, kind of eight figure top line. The service is to record video, show installation instructions, do pro tips and all the things that a media company would do. Cause we're really moving into being a media company that sells parts rather than a part company that does media. So, so having, we've, we've really built our media machine over the past couple of years and then kind of just, you know, waiting to kind of scale that with a with a full service shop full service kind of brick and mortar operation um and then start just documenting what what happens there sounds like a reality show in the way in the yeah. in, in the making i've got some, I've got some good characters shock on daddy. Shock, you know shock daddy you're not shock daddy you're shock which which again you're shock the shock doctor <laughs> yeah there's four or five different shock something or other profiles have popped shock up jockey. over <laughs> they're all good well so i love that i think i think you know we talk yeah. about brands becoming media companies all the time with yeah. that in mind like if we were to give you a fifty thousand dollar grant how would you how would you deploy that in q4 this year i would i would develop we've been i've been trying to develop or i have been developing a kind of a shock tool like a shock rebuild tool kit to basically Rather than people sending in their parts to for us to service, and sometimes it's not, it's a wash on how much it costs, time available versus new parts. I want to just give this toolkit to people um, for them to do it themselves and to provide all the instruction online for them to do it themselves. And so I've really been developing that I'm in talks with people um, to develop that kit well packaged and stuff so you know if that just popped in my bank account i'd probably be like hit, hit go on that because i know that's going to just be extremely valuable for thousands of people across the u.s 
and create lifetime customers, right? Of people yeah. that are, you know, really that are sensitive to their shocks, can tell when they're they're wearing out. That would be my last yeah. question. How how much of an LTV, like how once you get someone buying from you, how what is what does their life cycle look like? So right now our our AOV is about 575. I just checked it yesterday. And our our LTV has been trailing at about uh, $50, $60 more than that, like basically for the past two years. So AOV is 500, LTV has been like 550. Uh, right now, AOV is 575, LTV is about 625. And so that's, you know, that's good in general retail in the space of like all these people selling 50 or $100 parts. But in our space where once on these big garage sites, a lot of these customers come back and spend two, five, ten thousand dollars. I know a couple. I know a couple shops that their LTV is like fifteen thousand dollars because customers would be like, "Do my first Jeep? Do my second Jeep? Do my third Jeep?" And they've just been buying from this company for like twenty years. And so, um, one of our challenges has always been like be profitable on the first sale, and then really, really work hard. This past, I've been working really hard the past. 18 months to get return purchases on auxiliary parts coming back, uh, a friends and family referral. So LTV in terms of as a ratio to AOV has been pretty low for us. And um, in the current environment where you're like trying to get, you know, trying to get more money out of your customer or try to provide them more value, that's like been my sole focus on um, Still have a lot of work to do. I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for like $700 by the end of next year, um, partway there. And I think I think we'll get there through, uh, we just implemented social snowball on a, on a referral kind of um, marketing basis. Um, we're adding a lot of product to the site to help, help our existing customers maintain their vehicles that we know they're gonna be keeping for another couple of years while prices are insane. Nice. Um- Thanks so much for coming on the DZ podcast today. If people want to follow your journey, where do you recommend they they reach out? Or if they want shocks, how, how do you recommend they yeah. get hold of you? Uh, shocks are plus everywhere. You know, take a look at our YouTube videos. Um, that's the best place to start because most people don't know what they need. And so I hope we do a good job there on on directing like what's appropriate. But and we're also a shock boss on TikTok. Um, definitely come and say hello there shock because boss, that's what it was. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for, you know, having me on as well. I just, you know, love being transparent and helping out people. And if anyone wants to email me on anything in the automotive space, Sean at shocksurplus.com. Love to help. I just think it's a great example. There's probably industries across the board in all sorts of different areas that can be innovated kind of in the way that, that you you have. I think it's a, it's sort of an endless opportunity in the D2C space to retrofit these legacy businesses with, with yeah. uh, digital marketing tactics. So it's great to see you doing it with such a set. Congratulations on your, your eight-figure success too. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been wild to even end up here and we're a lot of growing pains right now, but uh, we're going to get through it and uh, continue. Nice. Well, I'm going to check out Snow Leopard because I want to figure out how we can create a category of one in the D2C space. There you uh, go. And I advise everyone to check it out as well. Thanks again, Charles. Yeah. It's great. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.